What is going on, baseball fans? Welcome to This Week in Baseball, presented by Diamond Digest, Season 2, Episode 19. I'm your host this week, Jordan Lazowski. I'm back after two weeks off, and first want to say thank you to Diego Franco Carreno for filling in. Um, I've heard only good things, so I'm sure he will be doing it again in the future, because I'm sure many of you prefer hearing his voice over mine, but... Because of that, I don't talk that much each episode, and I bring on three panelists to talk the entire time. Joey Bowley, James Darcheski, and the guy who's already moved on to football season, Pittsburgh Pirates fan, <laughs> Ethan Fisher. <laughs> Gentlemen, how are we tonight? Doing good. Doing good. As good as you can be for various fan bases, but it is what it is. We'll get into all that. We'll do our usual rundown, standings update around the league in 60 seconds, and then we'll cover anything that we might want to cover past that. Seventh inning stretch, talking a lot about, you know, what, what's we're, we're at least starting to transition to talking about, you know, what's coming on in September and October, as well as what might be coming in the offseason as well. But let's jump right into it. If the season ended today, and we're getting close, we only got about four weeks left. Here's what the standings look like. Starting in the American League, the Tampa Bay Rays still have a five and a half game lead on the Yankees. In the AL East, the White Sox, a 10 game lead over the Cleveland Indians in the AL Central. The Houston Astros still above the Oakland Athletics by six games in the AL West. Your two wild card teams out there, the aforementioned Yankees. And the Red Sox, so three AL East teams in the playoffs as of right now. In the National League, the Braves, in a shocking turn of events since the last time I hosted one of these, find themselves sitting pretty atop the NL East, four and a half games up on the Phillies. The Milwaukee Brewers have only extended their lead in the NL Central, eight and a half games now over the Reds. The Giants who I'm sure everybody talked about for the past two weeks quite often with Diego on, still in first place in the NL West, two and a half games up on the Dodgers. Your two teams out there in the wild card, the Cincinnati Reds and the Los Angeles Dodgers. So for the first time in a long time, I'm not talking about the Padres in the playoff picture. I'm, I know we have talked about it a little bit over the past couple weeks, and we'll definitely talk about it more as we jump into a uh, seventh inning stretch before we get there around the league in 60 seconds. So each of our panelists, as you know, will talk about what they found important, what they found interesting this first or this last week of August, this last full week of August, at least as we head towards September. And we will start with the guy on my top, right? James Darcheski. Go ahead. All right. Uh, the longest extra inning game in years happened hmm. this week with the Dodgers and Padres going 16. And if you were up watching that, uh, I applaud you. That was a late game, especially <laughs> if you were on the East Coast or in a state that claims to be in the East Coast like I am. <laughs> uh, 16 innings. Uh I'm pretty sure both teams failed to score with runners in scoring position like 40 times. It was rough. Uh, the Padres fired their pitching coach relatively recently this week. And 
this is kind of a surprise given that going into the year, starting pitching was seen as a strength. And now they're uh, starting to point fingers at some people on that staff. So interesting turn of events there. Yeah, I think that's a really big talking point that we don't necessarily have in seventh inning stretch, but is important is as the Padres continue to tumble, someone had to be scapegoated. And when you're touted as having such an amazing starting pitching staff to start this year, to an extent, you can't really control the injury. So I think that's the unfair piece of it. Um, but when you bring in Jake Arietta and hope he's going to solve all your problems, I'm not sure how much the pitching coach could do. He's not a miracle worker. But, but Blake Snell went from being a top pitcher to being below average with the Padres in a pitcher's park. This is true. Hugh Darvish has been struggling. Mm-hmm. Like the only pitcher who has sustained early season success has been Joe Musgrove. It's no one else has been consistently good for the Padres. And that's why it's easy to point the finger at Larry Rothschild. Mm -hmm. It's such a weird time for me. It's just, it's such a weird time to do it. I think what is going to change over the next month? I think, I, I don't know. I it's, it's clearly a team who sees their playoff window potentially shutting real fast right now. Um, you got guys who might feel themselves on the hot seat and might have to take action behind it. I did find it interesting. Jace Tingler said this was 100% his decision too. They're not like the Dodgers. They're, yeah. they're closer to the Rockies in the standings, which is pretty, pretty funny. Which should be concerning to them and is probably, again, if they, I doesn't look like, as long as they stay out of the playoff picture this year, someone's going to have to pay for it probably with their job uh, come October. But Ethan, what you got? Yeah, I think the biggest thing this week was um, the teams that are in playoff position who are separating themselves from the rest of the field. Obviously, the Yankees were on a, what, 13-game winning streak, mm -hmm. and they're still five and a half games behind the Rays. The Rays have won seven in a row and nine out of ten, I think. So the Rays have been going step for step with the Yankees. And uh, the Dodgers and Giants and the Braves also – have been playing really well as of late. Um, and the Padres obviously continuing to slide. It's, yeah, it's definitely a surprise, like we all just said. Um, a couple of injuries to teams who are trying to sneak into the playoff race. Um, TJ Antone of the Reds, they just got him back, and now he is having Tommy John surgery, which is a big blow for them because he's quietly been establishing himself as a really solid, a really solid pitcher. I'm using them both out of the rotation and of the bullpen. Now they're not going to have him probably for all the next year too. And then Reese Hoskins for the Phillies, he's out also. Mm -hmm. So they're out there first baseman. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention Gregory Polanco, who <laughs> is gone. He's officially been released by the pirates. Um, I can't say that he didn't deserve it because he hasn't, you know, been earning it. <laughs> everything they've been paying him. They've actually been paying Gregory Polanco. He hasn't been earning it for years, um, but he's one of the best people that I've actually seen in baseball. He's always, you know, he always had a smile on his face, even when he was, he was struggling when the team was struggling. He was the last player left from the Pirates playoff run. So everyone there is gone now. So 
as much as this needed to happen. It's a little bit of a bummer, but it's time to move on. I'm ready. Polanco's actually been a personal favorite of mine for a little bit. Just thinking like, hey, maybe we can grab him. See, it might he might be a change of scenery guy. I don't know. It's hard to have the talent he has and has shown, and then not ever recapture it. Um, as far as the Reds go, sounds like they could use Carson Fulmer. Um, <laughs> That's, oh yeah, that's all I'm saying. That's all I've got to say about that one. But they did do it with Sean Doolittle, mm-hmm. and then then Seattle picked him right up. Yeah. Yep. But I don't know. I was kind of crapping on the Reds a few weeks ago when the Field of Dreams game stuff came out. I was like, oh, the rebuilding Cubs and the mediocre Reds. And since then, they have your words. Yeah. Since then, they've gone mm-hmm. on a tear. I'd um, like to add that I called that game on this podcast. <laughs> I don't, in terms of that game, I don't know. I don't, I don't love two teams that don't exactly bring a ton of firepower next year. I feel like you should take a look at the standings this year and say, Hey, what's the reasonable prediction for what two teams might be good next year and, and go of, from there. One of the graphics that the, the MLB social media tweeted out had Patrick wisdom emerging from the cornfield. And I'm like, yeah, it's no, like using Patrick wisdom. man. like, if you had to do that, it was almost like, yeah. Hey, maybe we should take a step back. I mean, I like Patrick this. Wisdom just as much as the next guy, but come on now. Cool story, but it's like Yeah. Not I mean, he's not I mean, he's not up there with Castellanos and, and Winker and whoever else they had on there. And if you wanted to keep it within like Midwest, seems like the Brewers are gonna be probably good again. It's gonna be fun to watch those pitchers pitch. It's like yeah. that's just a side tangent, but the Reds make me my words anyway, but don't listen to anything I say is the moral of that story. <laughs> Joey, bring us home for around the league in 60 seconds here. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to talk about uh, kind of uh, contrary to what Ethan discussed. I'm actually going to talk about some some teams that have fallen pretty significantly from where they were earlier in the season, starting with the Mets. Um, personally, sure. I always knew the Mets weren't good because they're the Mets. And um, <laughs> they just, whatever it is, they can never seem to put it together. I mean, I sincerely think that there is some sort of there's something going on in their like sports medicine department to where these guys keep getting soft tissue injuries. I don't know what it is, but I mean, it's always, it's an oblique or it's a trap or it's a peck or it's something. Some, someone's always hurting some sort of soft muscle. Um, you know, I think there should be some sort of a correlation there with what they're doing. Um, but Marcus Stroman has been really good. I, I will shout out Marcus Stroman. He's been pretty fantastic. Um, but other than that, I mean, Lindor, has been pretty disappointing. I mean, he's got a 687 OPS. And I mean, I know league-wide offense is down. That's still only a 90 OPS plus. I, I get the elite defense, but, um, you know, er, early returns on that that really big contract are not good. And then mm-hmm. Javi Baez, I mean, we all saw what came out today with uh, the thumbs down towards the fans, which I think is funny because, um, you know, I, I've interacted with Mets fans enough to know that they probably – um, are a little critical of their players. Um, Fair. So I, I don't, I mean, Javi Baez has no connection to New York. I mean, he's there for another three weeks and then he's probably going to be somewhere else. So, um, you know, I actually don't hate that from him because like at some, at, at what point do, do, do players have to have some respect for themselves? You know, they always are looked at as, and we've talked about this before on this podcast, how players are looked at, as like this infallible, like sort of elevated 
personality. Um, but you know, they have feelings too. Um, and you know, he said, it's hard for me when I strike out and everybody boos me. And I bet that is really hard for him because he strikes out a lot. So he's getting booed a lot. Um, so I certainly understand his frustration there. Um, and then the other team, quick shout out to the Baltimore Orioles breaking their record setting almost <laughs> losing streak. They lost like, it was like three weeks. They didn't win a game. Um, so good on them. Um, of course it was against the angels. And of course it was when Shohei was pitching. Um, but I mean, I think that just adds to the, the, um, the, I don't even know how to describe the Orioles season this year, man. It's been, it's been bad, <laughs> but you know, they had that one moment and, um, you know, I, I can't even, I, I just don't even know what to say. I'm at a loss for words for how dreadful that stretch was. Um, but they have a good farm system. So good for them. Hopefully, hopefully things look better for, uh, <laughs> for our pals over in Baltimore in the next couple of years here. Sooner rather than later. Yeah, for them, but yeah, yeah. I the bias stuff is interesting because it's like you've already played yourself out of a big contract, and and now you're saying and doing things that aren't helping your cause either. Um, so he's an in- interesting position. Um, as we get towards the off season, we'll talk more about the big short stops and stuff like that. But I'm curious to see what happens to him. Honestly, I, I'm. It's been a quite the fall from grace. Is Javi uh, still a big shortstop? And that's where you start asking that question. Is he's probably going to be the longest one on the market? Yeah, I mean, it's and like, even and this year is, I mean, it's an outlier for him. But I mean, he's only had two like super like good years. It was eighteen and nineteen. He had five point four and four point four Fangraphs worth of like respectively. Mm-hmm. Um, this year he's at two point two. Um, despite his 36% strikeout rate. Um, yeah. And he's only walking 4% of the time. So, I mean, he he produces runs and he plays good defense. Um, but, I mean, there's just a lot of things also to be worried about with him. Like right. he, he and his strikeout rate has been going up every year since his big 2018. So, concerning to say the least, but... You know, I wouldn't want my team to sign him, I don't think. I I know Pittsburgh Pirates fan Ethan would strongly mm. agree with this. <laughs> oh yeah, Kevin Newman might actually be one of the only shortstops who I would want less than Javier Baez. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can argue against that. <laughs> oh god. Well that's a good run. I think there's just too much, I don't know, there's so much going on where I was, for a few weeks there when we were doing these, I'm like, all right, it's hard to talk about the standings, and it's like everyone's starting to really figure things out, and things are kind of already set up, and as we transition to seventh inning stretch, I think it's worth noting that for the first time, it f- when it feels like a little bit, we kind of do have stuff to talk about when it comes towards the standings, and with that... Let's pull up the scoreboard. Let's move into seventh inning stretch. Hopefully Diego was kind to everybody the past two weeks. I don't expect him to have been, however, with the scoring. Anywho, let's jump into it. The Yankees won 13 straight at one point during this week and last week. The Red Sox and Rays. 
still clinging to their leads in the wild card and the AL East, respectively. The A's continue to slide. The Padres find themselves on the outside looking in. We've talked a little bit about all of this, but what are your thoughts on how the teams on the bubble might end up at season's end? And what are the biggest storylines in your mind as the calendar flips to November? Or excuse me, to September. Jeez. To September. (laughs) We'll start with Ethan. (laughs) All right. If you had told me uh, before the season or even at the trade deadline that there would be three playoff teams in the AL East, that wouldn't have been a huge surprise to me. But I still would have expected Toronto to be that third team. And uh, even with them adding Barrios and Brad Hand, I thought they were going to be in pretty good position to make a run, and they haven't really done that yet. So I'm surprised to see Toronto as far back as they are still. Um, the A's, I actually really liked what the A's did at the deadline. Yeah. Um, particularly Starling Marte has been phenomenal for them. Um, but they already had a lot of ground to make up in the first place. And with the Chris Bassett injury, that's just a brutal blow for them. He's probably not going to pitch again this year. So the A's are in a really tough spot too. But I think the biggest story is exactly how far the Padres have slipped. And I think it starts, you know, at the trade deadline because we had such huge expectations for the Padres at the deadline solely because of AJ Preller, because he's never been afraid to push in all his chips and just do something crazy. We all expected the Padres to do something crazy and they didn't. The biggest move they made was Adam Frazier and he's been awful since they traded for him. Um, yeah, like they missed out on Gallo and Trevor Story, who both I think would have fit pretty well there. And then as soon as it looked like they had Max Scherzer, they lost him and Trey Turner to the Dodgers, which was probably about the worst case scenario for the Padres. And I think it's uh, worth noting the Padres, they start a series, I think, tomorrow against the Diamondbacks. But their final eight series of the season are against the Astros, Angels, Dodgers, Giants, Cardinals, Dodgers, or Giants again, and then Braves, and then the Dodgers again, which is a brutal stretch, a brutal stretch. And meanwhile, the Reds, who they're trailing in the wild card, have 16 games left against the Tigers, Cubs, Nationals, and Pirates. So the Padres are in a really tough spot um, in terms of the standings, and the clock is really ticking on them to get back into it. We really might have some interesting conversations about the Padres in a few weeks because that doesn't look good on paper. And you go out, perform, you earn it, but, man, that's that's not where you want to be. James, your thoughts? Remember when the Padres were being compared to the Dodgers as, like, (laughs) the two best teams in Major League Baseball, the two best teams in the National League? I'm sure as the Dodgers fan, you love that one. (laughs) I loved hearing that. You know, the Dodgers finally got the monkey off their back. They won the World Series. And, you know, the haters will say it was a 60-game season. Well, your team didn't do it. If it was so easy, why didn't your team do it? So, of course, the Padres did make – they made some moves that I thought, okay, they could – they could really be really be a good team this year. So I am very surprised that they have been struggling to the degree they have been. I don't think Jay Stingler is a good manager. I I've watched those Padres games against the Dodgers in this last series. He just got outmanaged. And they're 
I mean, it's hard to really say like, oh, what makes a good manager or what makes a bad manager statistically? You just kind of have to know. And it doesn't help when like you get a all-star like Adam Frazier, who was one of the league leaders in hits, if not the league leader, and just he falls off a cliff. Fernando Tatis, they decide to put in the outfield because his shoulder is falling apart and they'd rather have him play there than lose him for the year. And he's been awful in since coming back and playing in the outfield. And this is a, this is a story that Padres fans have seen before. Just look at what happened in 2010. Uh, they collapsed in the final month of the year. So, I think it's hilarious because they were all saying <laughs> we're coming at the Dodgers. We're not afraid. I'm like, and now they're very, very afraid. It just goes so, up. You go on this long rant about all these things that are wrong with the party. I think it's course. hilarious. It is. <laughs> well, the Giants are the Dodgers biggest rivals. I think they're going to fall out of first place. Uh, in the coming week, that's my bold prediction. But as for the rest of the playoff race, it's pretty much settled. Uh, Dodgers are pretty much guaranteed to be in. Same with the Giants. Same with the Brewers, Braves, Reds, and Mate. They they among the NL teams are the most likely to fall out of the picture. But I'm cheering for that not to happen. I want them in the playoffs. In the American League, I was really hoping the Blue Jays would be in just so I could see Vladdy in the playoffs, but I don't think that's going to happen. The playoff race is really solidified. There isn't much of a pennant race this year, so the last month's probably going to be pretty boring relative to the last few years when when there were actual races, but... I still feel like there's at least a few we can maybe hang our hats on, but Joey, your th- oh, go ahead. A battle, but that's yeah. about it. Joey, your thoughts? Um, so I, I mostly agree with uh, what Ethan and James have said. You know, I think that um, you know we're only going to see two playoff teams from the NL West, which we wouldn't have expected. But I mean, a couple of months ago, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have thought that we'd be like, oh, all, all three, you know, all three of those big teams are going to be in the playoffs, but. Um, that appears to not be the case anymore. I mean, the Reds are hot, Padres are not. So that's really where it comes down to. As far as the East goes, I think Atlanta is the best team. I thought that at the beginning of the year, and I thought it was crazy when they were projected by all those systems to finish like third or fourth and it'd be like 500. As in, you know, that doesn't seem right. They're, you know, they're at least an 88 win team and they're by far the best team in that division, especially with an injured Jacob DeGrom. Um, they're by far the best team in that division. And then um, Oakland, I don't really see making up too much ground. I mean, Starling Marte has been fantastic. Um, Josh Harrison has had some some defensive gems for sure. Um, but you know, I, especially with Bassett out now, I just don't think they're going to be able to to catch the Astros. AL Central is obviously pretty wrapped up. I mean, not, not a whole lot's going to change there, except hopefully the Tigers move into second place, just so that they can say. And we as fans can say, 
we suck less than Cleveland in Kansas City because that would be fun to say. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really think that the West and, and the uh, and the NL West and the AL East are probably the most interesting things to be looking at because as far as the t- it's the top two in the West for me, really, because I do think that the Dodgers will pass the Giants. The Dodgers have lost five games in the entirety of the month of August. I mean, they are unreal. Trey Turner and Max Scherzer have been unreal. Like they have been even better. I mean, that Max Scherzer is an ERA of 1.5, something like that. Trey Turner's got a 130 OPS plus since they got to, to LA. So, I mean, those guys are doing exactly what they, exactly what they got them to do. They're helping them with the playoff push. And then, um, you know, hopefully not too, not too far along here. Um, Cody Bellinger starts riding the bench and they put Chris Taylor in center all the time. So, um, you know, I would just like to see a fully loaded Dodgers team without Cody Bellinger playing because he kind of stinks now. So I don't want to see a fully loaded Dodgers team, but that's okay. You know what, Laz? I don't have a team in the playoffs. So <laughs> I, I would just like I would like to see the Dodgers go like what is it like twelve and zero, not lose a single game in the playoffs. I think that would be fantastic to see. Oh, I'm sure you would. I I, I definitely think you do. I, I, I agree with that. <laughs> oh, oh really? stress for me. All right, real quick before we jump into the second inning, just don't do any spoilers or nothing, but just give me a yes or no answer here. Padres don't make the playoffs. Somebody else gets fired within that organization. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Yes. No. Interesting. All right. I'm sure we might talk about this later, which is why I'm saying like in three weeks, if this is, I don't want to ruin a seventh inning stretch question. So (laughs) we'll probably get into that more. But let's jump into the next question. Chris Sale has returned from Tommy John surgery and has done what Chris Sale usually has done. Three three starts, 235 ERA, 34% K rate. Yep, sounds about right. The Red Sox are holding on to a three and a half game lead in the second wild card spot. Is that still true? It's only three games, but it's pretty much. Well, the A's are playing tonight. The A's are playing tonight. So it's either going to be because the Red Sox lost, so it'll either be two and a half or three and a half after today. Either way, they still got a lead, a slim lead in the AL wild card. How much better do you feel about their postseason chances, Ethan, with Sale back in the mix? Yeah, I feel a lot better. And I was, I've been pretty skeptical of the Red Sox for most of the season. Um, but yeah, Chris Sale's a game changer. If he's healthy and he's dominant, which he has been since he's come back, it's absolutely a game changer. Not only about them getting into the playoffs, but winning a one-game wild card and potentially winning a series, I feel a lot better. Um, with Sale and uh, Nathan Yavaldi, that's been a really strong one-two punch for them. I still don't think the rest of their pitching staff is quite enough for them to be favored in a postseason <clears throat> series against anybody else who would end up being in the AL playoffs. But I think Chris Sale makes a huge difference. And also Kyle Schwarber, well, that was one of my uh, favorite pickups at the trade deadline. They didn't need Kyle Schwarber. That lineup is already just absolutely loaded as it is. But Kyle Schwarber just puts them over the top. I think they could uh, put runs up on anybody. Yeah, I I like the Red Sox chances a lot better, both with uh, Sale and with Schwarber. Joey, your thoughts? Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, Chris Sale has been fantastic, as we discussed. But um, I think – perhaps more important than regular Chris Sale is younger right-handed Chris Sale, Tanner Hoke. 
who has also been fantastic and his and I mean he has eight starts this year, 137 ERA plus 1.95 FIP, um, and almost 12 Ks per nine, only two walks per nine. I mean he's been, um, I mean he has been a, a revelation for them. I mean we knew that this guy was going to be good when he was coming up. Uh, this is this is I mean he's not a surprise, but he has been fantastic, and he needs to continue to be fantastic if the Red Sox are going to make any sort of run. Same with Pavetta. He, he's, he, he's struggled a little bit lately, um, but he, he's also had, he's having a pretty good year as well. Um, I also really like the Kyle Schwarber pickup for what it's worth. He has like a 1,200 OPS with the Red Sox. James, three for three? Yeah, it's boring to say, have all of us say, Chris Sale is going to make an impact. Of course he's going to make an impact. <laughs> he is one of the greatest strikeout pitchers of the last decade. Also one of my favorite pitchers to watch. One of my favorite players to watch. So I, I'm i excited to see what he can do in the postseason for Boston. I think he could be a difference maker in the wild card game, especially if it's against the Yankees. I think he could just dominate that lineup because he doesn't walk a lot of guys. So he has been given up a, a few home runs. I think he has like a 375 FIP, but I think that kind of comes with not pitching in 18 months, roughly. So you take the good with the bad for now, but if he's, right by October. Do you really want to face Chris sale? That's a good point. I I think I, I would not want to be whoever has to face off against them in the wild card. I'm sure it'll end up being the Yankees. I would not feel great about having guys like Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo in my lineup. If I had to go against Chris sale. Um, whether or not I'm playing at home, that's just not a fun matchup. And I don't know if they end up sneaking their way in, they'll make some noise. And I, I think it'll be interesting if they do. Inning three, a couple of first round picks have gone down with season ending surgeries this or injuries this week, not surgeries. Henry Davis, an oblique injury. Jordan Lawler, here's the surgery on his shoulder. Um, we'll start with Ethan again, because Henry Davis is involved. Uh, do you have any long-term concerns for these guys and their health development process? I think it's too early to be concerned about it. And particularly in, uh, Henry Davis's case, uh, Ben Charrington has his weekly radio show every Sunday and he was asked about it today. And based on everything you said, it sounds like it's mostly precautionary. And the reason why he isn't expected to play again this year is because the minor league season is basically over and not because of the severity of his injury. So I'm really not concerned about Henry <clears throat> Davis at all. Pirates still won the draft by a mile. They got three other first-round talents after Henry Davis anyway. So, yep, Pirates won the draft. I'm not concerned. They At least they didn't take Kumar. That's all I'm saying. Um, but I, I would be slightly more worried about Jordan Lawler um, solely because it's a it's a shoulder surgery. But they think he's going to be back uh, by spring training. So I'm not worried about him either. And I just think it's too early to start panicking on either one. James? It's, it's too early to panic on either of them. Neither Davis nor 
Waller were injury risks or viewed as injury risks going into the draft. I still am betting on those guys being healthy by spring training and they should be good to go by next year. I think it's just precautionary for both of them since they're not really going to help their, you know, a ball team or whatever level of the minors they're at. If there's a slight problem, these are investments you want to protect, especially this early along in their developmental process when they might not be as strong as a major league caliber player. Joey. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to be boring again and say that <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I do. I really do. I just think it's too early. Um, especially, especially with Henry Davis, because you know, it's an oblique. I mean, I understand that, you know, he, I know that there are people who don't think that he grades out defensively as a catcher at the major league level. I'm not necessarily one of those people. Um, but I mean, it, it, the, that, the only thing I could really see it affecting long-term is his, his ability to throw the baseball. Um, I don't think it'll affect his swing too much. Obviously I'm not a doctor or anything, um, but just based on, you know, my limited knowledge of oblique injuries, um, you know, it should, he should be able to strengthen back up and, and be able to swing it back well. Um, the only thing I would worry about is the defense, but if he doesn't grade out as a major league catcher anyway, it might not, might not matter too much if he grades out more as a corner outfitter or a first baseman, maybe the arm's not as important. Um, as for Jordan Lawler, more concern simply because, you know, I don't know exactly what type of shoulder surgery it is, but the, the certain types like, uh, like, especially like, I know that, um, like rotator cuff labrum kind of stuff, um, has, has some, some lower success rates in terms of, of surgeries. So I, I would be more concerned about him. Um, but the diamondbacks don't seem to be, uh, they don't seem to be too concerned about it. Uh, so probably more concerned about Jordan Lawler, slightly concerned about Henry Davis's defense, but overall uh, I'm not too worried about either of them. I think they're both studs and I think they'll both end up contributing at the major league level at some point. Solid consensus there. I think it's always interesting. It's the, it's the early panic of your shiny new toy that gets hurt in some way that usually causes some sort of panic among fans. And it's, it's unfortunate. It is what it is. It's going to happen. And at some point you're going to get hurt for a little bit. And hopefully it's not long-term for either of them. Let's jump to inning number four. We'll talk a little bit about some of the pending free agent stuff coming up. Uh, this offseason came out this week. that Nick Cassianos is likely to opt out of the last two years of his deal with the Reds. While Carlos Correa has basically made it clear that this is his last season with the Astros. So when it comes down to this coming off season, who are the biggest winners and losers, whether teams or players, uh, with this news? Let's start with Joey. So Nick Castellanos has always been a favorite of mine. Um, coming up through the Tiger system, I always knew that he was going to be a good hitter. I didn't think he was going to be quite as terrible defensively <clears throat> as he has been in his career. Um he really can't play defense. So in that <laughs> set, in the sense that he's opting out this year, I think that there are really two options for who the winners are. Um, number one is Nick Castellanos because he's going to get paid. Number two is every team that is playing in the league. That's going to have the DH because this guy is 
exactly what you look for in a DH. He hits the ball, and you're not losing any defensive value by not having him on the field. Uh, so, especially if the if the NL takes on the D or um, yeah, if the NL takes the DH next year, he's gonna have 30 teams coming after him, wanting him. Um, except maybe the Dodgers; they don't have anywhere to. They, don't, they already have plenty of haters, so maybe not the Dodgers, but uh, he'll have plenty of suitors. Um, Correa, I would say, is also a winner in this situation. Um, Correa and um, like AL West teams because they don't have to deal with Carlos Correa anymore <laughs> um, unless he signs with the Angels, which uh, I know that a lot of Angels fans are, are proponents of. But um, he's going to be he's going to be a hot commodity. Him and Trevor Story. I know we talked about shortstops a little bit earlier, um, but I think him and Trevor Story are really going to be the big names on the free agent market as far as hitters are concerned this year. Biggest losers got to be the Reds. Um, I don't know why they gave him. I think they gave him two player options on a four-year contract, um, which to me shows that they may have had some sort of. Uh, I I don't know why they would do that because all he's ever done is hit, especially in the uh, the couple of years before they signed him. All he did was hit. He led the major leagues in doubles in 2019, so he's gonna hit. I don't know why they gave him that, but um, they lose him. And then in the Correa situation, uh, probably the biggest loser feels cliche, but it's the Astros. I mean, they're losing a 26-year-old shortstop who's been one of the best ever since they got him. I mean, they built their franchise up around him. He took them to a World Series. He won them a World Series, um, of, which, of course, had no has no controversy surrounding it whatsoever. Um, <laughs> but... I mean, he's he's a generational shortstop, and uh, they're they're really gonna miss him. Just talk me off the ledge and tell me he's not going to the Tigers. I uh, I don't want Trevor. I don't want Carlos Correa. I would prefer a, a certain other shortstop. But, all right, <laughs> that makes me feel a little bit better because I'm like, yeah. all right, there's the hinge connection. I'm like, just I mean, talk me off the ledge. you know, I don't know, man. It, it would be pretty sick. No one. Yeah, um, no one. Pretty sick. Uh, you're losing points now. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna go to Ethan. <laughs> yeah, I I agree with pretty much everything you said about Castellanos. He's top ten in WRC plus this year, and he's only 29, so he's not like super young, but he still has a lot of gas left in the tank. And yeah, like he said, if there's gonna be a universal DH, his market essentially doubles. Someone's gonna pay him a ton of money. And I question, you know, what the Reds' front office has really been up to over the last couple of years, because it seemed like right after they added all this payroll, they almost instantly were trying to offload it. They basically made no effort to re-sign Trevor Bauer. Um, there were the rumored trade talks last offseason for Castellanos and Moustakis and Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo. They did trade Rice Iglesias to the Angels in the offseason. He's been probably a top five reliever in baseball this year. I'm not knocking the Reds because they're currently in a playoff position. So, you know, whatever they're doing is working. Um, it's just hard to see, you know, what exactly they're going for. And when they inevitably do lose Castellanos, it's going to be really hard for them if they are, you know, in some sort of penny pincher mode. It's going to be really hard for them to replace the production that they're currently getting from him. Um, as for the uh, Carlos Correa situation, I'm pretty neutral there. I'm not worried about Correa at all. If you look at the uh, the big five free agent shortstops um, this winter, 
I, I use big names loosely. Uh, Correa, Seager, Story, Javi Baez, who's awful, but he's a name. And I'm <laughs> I, uh, I'm lumping Marcus Semien in there too. Um, Correa has been the best hitter of those five this year. He still plays a really good shortstop, and he's the youngest of the five. So I still think he's in a really good position to get paid a ton of money. It's not like his market was either Houston or bust. Someone's still going to pay him a ton of money. And I'm not too worried about Houston either. Um, they get Correa off the books. And I think uh, Granky and Verlander as well are coming off the books also. So they have some money to play with. And even if they don't get one of the other big shortstops, they still have a pretty strong core elsewhere. So I'm not too worried about the Astros either. James? Uh Cassianos, big winner. He's going to get paid, whether it's by the Reds or someone else. I think the Reds, they'll actually make an attempt to re-sign him, knowing that he was so important to their success this year. That, or I just don't understand baseball for a small market team. That That's the only way I can explain it, uh, especially for a team that didn't try to sign Trevor Bauer despite him pitching for the Reds and being their first ever Cy Young winner. But big winner for Cassiano's big. It's big for whoever needs a DH, except for the Dodgers. Like Joey said, they're, they're probably not going to add payroll there. Probably not going to add payroll this winner in general, but who knows? Uh, as for the Correa Astros, this one's oh, this one's personal. <laughs> uh, I can't stand Correa as a player. <laughs> At, really, as a person either, I can't stand him. He's still a good baseball player. So he's going to get paid. Uh, George Springer kind of showed that teams don't really care about the sign stealing if they can still play. Correa uh, can still play. So unfortunately, he's going to get a bunch of money, even though I, I can't stand the guy. Uh, the Astros, I don't know. We'll see what if they're winners or losers. They have a bunch of free agents coming up with Granky and Verlander leaving potentially. And their farm system isn't what it was five years ago. We'll see. I, I think it's a little ridiculous that the Astros with all the money that they could have in the off season, haven't paid Korea market value, but they're paying Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve below market value, and maybe Correa just wants to get paid and doesn't want to get doesn't care if it's with Houston or anyone else. To me, it's been really weird. <clears throat> Some of the conversations that Correa has been having, talking like, "Oh, it's my last year." Like, I'm I'm not going to say you're you're making yourself a loser in that situation in this winner loser type conversation. It's like you never want to rule out a market. Like now you can't, you can't use Houston as leverage now. Like, cause people are like, yeah, you already said you're not going there. So you're not going there. So it's like, I never liked that idea. Um, which makes it interesting. 
But at the same time, he's going to have a solid market. It's really not going to matter to him all that much. Castellanos, same kind paid. of story. He's going to get paid. Castellanos, same kind of story. People were down on him, myself included, because of the defense. Um, I'll take that sort of offense, if, even if I have to take some sort of lapse on defense as I watch Eloy Jimenez still play left field for my baseball team. So I, I've I've learned I have to be okay with defensive lapses. So, Would you rather have defensive lapses or offensive lapses? Because mm-hmm. that's the only reason Bellinger's starting is because of his defense. Right. And it's, it's weird to see sort of that shift of, you know, and I think that's why his market was pretty small. Last time he was a free agent was just, th- there's really not a lot of appeal because of the defense, but hopefully there's a universal DH and that just figures itself out anyway. So we'll see. Inning five. This should be a fun one. No Cardinals fans on this one, which is unfortunate. Fact or fiction, when Yadier Molina retires in 2022, it will be the end of a career that puts him in the Hall of Fame. We will start with James. You haven't started yet. Fact, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, He's got the counting numbers. The offensive metrics aren't great, but... at the end of the day, he's a catcher who caught over 2,000 games, I believe it is, with one team and got 2,000 hits. He's won two World Series. He's been great in the uh, postseason. So it's that sort of stuff that matters to Hall of Fame voters. And he's a... Unless you're a division rival, pretty much everyone else loves him. So he'll probably get in. It just won't be immediately. How many years would you say it would take? I'm going to add that to the question for everybody. How many years would you say it would take for him to get into the Hall of Fame if you think he's a Hall of Famer? Six. Just because some of the uh, newer voters might just say his offensive numbers are terrible. Some of the older voters might just put him in because he has 2,000 hits, and it may take a while for those two to agree to put him in. But he's a Hall of Famer. Ethan, agree or disagree? I will begrudgingly agree. Um, (laughs) James is right when he said that um, the uh, division rivals don't necessarily like him. I do not like Yadier Molina. He's been annoying the heck out of me for years. Um, but ultimately, I think he does eventually get in. I don't think I'm. I don't think he's first ballot. I think it's going to take a while. Also depends on who else is on the ballot when he's on the ballot. I don't know that off the top of my head. But I do think he eventually gets in. Um, I watched the uh, the foolish baseball video he just made about Yadier Molina, where he uh, he made compelling arguments on both sides, and I may or may not be in the camp that thinks that Yadier Molina is in the same tier as uh, Jason Kendall and Russell Martin when it comes to uh, his, his ability as a catcher. Um, but his legacy is probably what going to be what gets him into the Hall of Fame. Um, playing with the Cardinals, I think 2004 was when he made his debut. And uh, he's been there forever. 
and the old school voters, they love guys who spent their entire careers with one team. And not only that, but the Cardinals have been good the entire time. Uh, they've had one losing season in Yadier Molina's career. They made the playoffs 11 times. They've been to the World Series four times and won twice. Obviously, that's not all solely attributed to Yadier Molina, but he uh, he definitely you know, made his mark, and having that on his resume is going to help his case. So I do think he eventually gets in. Joey, going to make it three for three. You know, Laz, I am. I'm going to keep this <laughs> short and sweet. Um, regardless of whether or not I think Yadier Molina is a Hall of Famer, which I am actually still undecided on, um, I think that 75% of the people who are voting will think that. And it'll, it'll only take them three or four years. Interesting. Short and sweet. I mean, that's all there is to it. They're going to they're gonna see. They're gonna, I mean, we all know what the voter base is. We know what they like. Um, and and he, he checks all their boxes. And to that effect, I, I saw conversations on Salvador Perez being a potential Hall right, of Fame yeah, catcher. Yeah, no, so, you know, get out of here I, I thank you. Thank you. Just him and I would not. I, I, I don't. Come yeah. back in 10 years. I Not even. Like, don't. Has 13 F4 for his career. Yeah, not don't, Hall of Famer. Don't. I'm just. I'm just telling. I'm just telling you what I saw on Twitter. I'm just. I, I saw it too. I saw like, it. Too. It's gonna yeah. inspire these sorts of conversations. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't. I don't agree with it. But he's a great royal, nice. but not a. Yeah, he's Hall a great royal. He's having a solid player. power year. Ed defense leaves too much to, to. To just. I just. I don't know. He's a very frustrating ball player for me. And every time I talk crap. He starts to hit really well, so I'm just going to stop while I'm ahead because the White Sox play the Royals later this week. That's how I feel about Javier Baez. (laughs) So I should quit while I'm ahead and go into inning six. It was announced this week that twin starting pitcher Kenta Maeda is likely to go undergo Tommy John surgery, which will likely keep him out for most of the 2022 season. How does this change the trajectory for the 2022 Twins? And after struggling in his first full year with the team, do you think Minnesota regrets the trade that sent Bruce Starr Graterall, Graterall, sorry, to Los Angeles for Maeda? We'll start with the L.A. fan that's involved in this trade, James. They don't regret this at all. You're sending a mid-level reliever for a starting pitcher who was good, in his uh in the 60 game season form i think he was second in cy young voting last year mm-hmm. if i'm not mistaken he was good for him and you could if you were a twins fan you could have been talked into hey maybe he's not necessarily you know second place in cy young voting but he's a all-star pitcher for the twins again and they're in playoff contention now with him out I don't know. This is that's going to hurt the Twins, uh, who kind of decided to wait until next year, and when it came to you know the trade deadline, trading away Nelson Cruz and Barrios, but keeping some other younger players, I, it hurts them a lot because who who's going to pitch for them? Because I I just don't know what the answer is to that. Although Gratterall, 
mid-level reliever for the Dodgers. Hasn't been great this year. Hasn't been terrible. He's just been, eh. I don't think they regret making that trade at all, even with his struggles this year. Joey, your thoughts? Um, I largely agree with James. Um, you know, I think that Bruce Stargratterall is, uh, he's like that shiny object that you see at the beach. And then you bend down, you realize it's like a paperclip or something. Like, <laughs> I, I don't think that he's actually that good, but he throws really hard. Um, I mean, his, his stats, his major league stats are not by any means eye-popping. They're that of an average to slightly above average pitcher. And somebody who throws as hard as he does should be striking out more than seven batters per nine innings at the major league level. So I don't know what's going on there, but um, it might be just a small sample size thing. Um, but, you know, I may, I may be in the minority thinking that they, they didn't miss out on much, especially considering what they got in return for Maeda. I mean, he was fantastic last year, led the league in whip, second in Cy Young voting, 80 strikeouts to 10 walks in 66 and two-thirds innings. Um, this year, he has struggled more. Walks are up. Strikeouts are down. Hits are way up, um, higher than they've ever been in his career. Home runs, second highest. I mean, he he has certainly struggled this year. Um, but as far as, as this year goes, uh, they're probably better off in the long term with him not pitching anymore. Um and then, and then, you know, if he had turned things around and started pitching well, then maybe they, they, then they would have been better off not having him because they don't want to be winning games right now because they want a yeah. better draft pick. Um, and if they were trying to win, they'd be better off not having him because he's not going to help them win a lot of ball games, um, pitching the way he was this year. So, um, like James said, I, I am concerned about who's going to pitch for them next year um, because, I mean, outside of Maeda, Barrios is gone. Jay Happ is gone. Pineda's hurt. Bailey Ober is there. He's been, you know, pretty league, league average. Uh, Griffin Jacks is also there. He's pretty young and uh, he's struggling. Um, but I'm thinking Dobnak maybe will be back next year. I, I'm just not sure. I think that the 2022 Twins are going to be a rough, uh, a rough bunch to watch, um, especially with guys as exciting as Byron Buxton. Um, and guys like Miguel Sano, but like Josh Donaldson, like he's going to be 36. Like he's been okay mm -hmm. this year. I mean, okay. As in a 134 OPS plus. Okay. But like, I mean, there's no <laughs> way he's going to keep doing that. Right. Like he's not Nelson Cruz part two. Nelson Cruz, by the way, is <laughs> also gone. So things, I mean, optimistically thinking things will be rough for the Twins because I want the Twins to be losing baseball games, as does Laz. Amen. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, I really like Luis Arias, though. I've always liked him. He's a pain. He's like a better Nick Madrigal. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that. He's yeah, Nick Madrigal with a little bit of pop. Yeah. Ethan, your thoughts? I actually have a little bit of a more optimistic outlook on the Twins. I still think there is a conceivable chance that they can compete next year. Um, they kept most of their core intact, aside from Barrios and Nelson Cruz. And the only real names they're projected to lose in free agency are Andrelton Simmons, Michael Pineda, and Matt Shoemaker, which... You know, none of those are really devastating losses, but at the same time, like everybody else said, they need arms in that rotation. If they can end up 
you know, bringing a couple guys in who can pitch, I think there's a chance they can compete next year. So I'm not too worried about this um, in terms of uh, how the Twins are next year, especially since, you know, I think Maeda's age was starting to catch up to him and he was starting to go on a downhill slope a little bit. Um, yeah, and in terms of the uh, the Gratterall trade, I think that's a trade they had to make. Um, if the big piece in that trade is a guy who you're projecting to be a relief pitcher um, and getting what they got back for, you know, guy who was a Cy Young finalist, I still think that was a smart trade to make at the time. Um, hindsight, they probably would like to have Gratterall back by now, but I still think that was a good trade to make, so I don't hate it. I think what's interesting for the twins and for the twins, and you kind of mentioned it, Ethan. Um, it is not getting younger. Like having Tommy John surgery at this point in your career is it's not concerning, but it's not, you know, the greatest thing in the world. Like I don't know, Les. I'd say it's pretty concerning. Like it's like 34. Right. Where it's like <laughs> it's I don't know. I I hesitate to say it's overly concerning because you've seen guys be able to bounce back from it, but it's the age factor of being 34. That's where the, the question of, you know, do they regret it comes in? Um, I, I think you all kind of hit on it. They probably didn't regret it at the time. It's a move you had to make, but when you look at that rotation for next year and now a one year retooling thing becomes a potential two or three year type rebuild. Um, they got a lot of young talent, but I don't know. The pitching staff is in an interesting spot for them. I'm, I'm curious what they end up doing this offseason uh, and how they view their own outlook as well. Let's wrap it up. Inning number seven as we clean up seventh inning stretch here this week. You know, Saris and Britt Grioli. Grioli. I've always wondered how that was pronounced. I always I, see her name, but, and I, you know, I know she's a good reporter, but I cannot for the life of me pronounce her name. Um, yeah, you're not going to get good pronunciations. From it's Garoli. Garoli? Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to usually get good pronunciations from me. <laughs> but they put out their lists of the top five starting pitchers in the major leagues right now. I want to hear your lists. We'll start with Joey. So just full disclosure here, I have not seen either of their lists. So I, I don't know what they said. So this is does not matter. I just want to know what on, you no, think. I know I'm saying this is completely <laughs> based on what I think. Um, number one. Uh, I'll start with number five. I'm going to start with number five. <laughs> number five, Robbie Ray. He's having a great season. And if we're talking about, um, you know, starting pitchers right now, he's in the AL Cy Young conversation. He's been fantastic. I mean, he's on the Lance Lynn, you know, sort of level right now uh lance lynn garrett cole level um speaking of lance lynn and garrett cole lance lynn number four garrett cole number three um they've been fantastic i don't like garrett cole i full disclosure like i, I don't like him i think his hair looks weird um, <laughs> i think it's, it's just i don't know what it is i have hair very similar to his and i hope that mine does not look like his um but that's just how i feel about garrett cole he's a good pitcher i just don't you know whatever um, <laughs> number two, uh, probably going to be a bit of an unpopular, maybe homerish opinion, but Max Scherzer, I mean, that dude has been 
insane. I mean, he's been ridiculous. I mean, he hit this. He's not having the best season this year, even in the NL or even on his own team, which we'll get to in a second. But I mean, just his consistency and how excellent he's been throughout his entire career, I think gives him a little bit of boost, even though this is the top five starting pitchers right now, he kind of gets the benefit of the doubt in my head. Um, and then number one, Walker Bueller. Um, if you look at a pitcher war leading board, leaderboard, then, uh, you know, my list isn't going to line up with that. Um, I'm, I'm looking at other stuff here. I'm looking at XFIP. I'm looking at strikeout rates and things like that. Um, there are certainly arguments to be made for guys like Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Nathan Uvaldi, who would probably all be in my six through eight sort of range here. Um, but th those guys that I named, I think I've just been, uh, they've been pretty good. That's a bit of an understatement. They've been fantastic. Uh, <laughs> and those, those are the guys who I want on my team uh, come playoff time. James gave you the, the thumbs up for sure, or so. You're, you're totally good there. <laughs> James, you're top five. Are you, you might be muted, James. I saw this question and I thought, all right, easy. Granky, Sale, Kershaw, Scherzer, Bueller. And I'm like, wait, this is top five in the MLB right now. Now, not your five favorite pitchers to watch. <laughs> you got to re-rank this. So number five, I'm taking an injured Jacob deGrom. He's still probably better than everyone else. <laughs> I didn't rank him because so, he was hurt, so he's not really being good right now. I, I, I would still take him. I, I, I think fair. so. Fair. He's number five. Uh, number four. Let's go with Cur Corbin Burns. He's not a pitcher I'd want to face in the postseason. He doesn't walk a lot of guys. He strikes out a lot of guys. He doesn't allow runs. So, number three, Lance Lynn. Uh, he doesn't allow runs. And I have to pander to Laz. And Laz likes Lance Lynn. Therefore, Lance Lynn is number three. <laughs> Plus, he's been really good for the World Series. I'll, accept, I'll accept this answer, and I will give you a point. <laughs> uh, he has been really good for the White Sox this year too. So it's not like it's oh, he's saying Dallas Keuchel is top five. No, Lance yeah, Lynn I'll, I'll is a legitimate. <laughs> Lance Lynn, legitimate top five pitcher in the American League at least. Number two, I'd have to say. Garrett Cole, just because if you're the Yankees, you have to feel pretty confident about rolling him out for that AL wildcard game. So doesn't matter if you're facing Chris Sale. If you're the Yankees, you got to be confident in uh, rolling out Garrett Cole against him. And number one, to the surprise of nobody, is Walker Bueller. <laughs> who has been the best pitcher in the National League this entire season and, mark my words, will win the National League Cy Young Award. He has just been a baller, completing... He's been eating innings. I think he's uh, gone six innings in almost every start, and he doesn't allow runs. 
and then he, he his strikeouts haven't been what uh they could be but he doesn't allow runs he still strikes out a lot of guys and he goes deep in the games that's exactly what I'd want from a starting pitcher and he's a big game pitcher too which will really help in the playoffs Ethan, bring us home your top five starting pitchers right now. All right. My caveat is that Jacob deGrom would have been number one and there would have been a giant gap between one and two if he were healthy. However, he's not healthy. Um, My list of pitchers who I strongly considered but just missed my list just real quick. Uh, Max Scherzer, Lance Lynn, Kevin Gosman, Aaron Nola, Robbie Ray, Joe Musgrove. I'll have really this is going to be an interesting list then. Yep, just couldn't get him in. My number five is Zach Wheeler. Um, he's been a lot better than I thought he would have been for the Phillies. Um, number four, this is a guy I know, even though I absolutely despise the team he plays for, I am much higher on this guy than anybody else is, Brandon Woodruff. Um, I picked him to win the Cy Young before the season, and I honestly think he is pitching well enough to win the award in normal season. However, they're just a bunch of guys going off in the National League. The best I can do is number four. Um, Garrett Cole's my number three. Walker Bueller's my number two. And my number one, I don't know how, Joey, you didn't put him on your list, but Corbin Burns is my number one. Um, He leads the major leagues in home runs, walks, and strikeouts per nine, all three. So despite his uh, 230 ERA, his FIP is just 165, which is like Pedro Martinez level stuff. So yeah, Corbin Burns is the one single pitcher I would not want to be facing right now. I think he's the best in baseball right now. I will say that Corbin Burns was very close, but when it came down to a tiebreaker, he just didn't have enough innings. Mm, That's fair. That's the only reason. Those are good lists. The only thing that if you really wanted to pander to me would have been a Dylan C shout out, but no one got there. And <laughs> that's all right. You all know for next time now. It's okay. He but... is in the top 20. Does that make you feel any better? Yes, because Sox fans won't even believe that one. He's been good. <laughs> he's been really good. And he's been fun to watch. A good young arm. But I digress. Let's jump into, first of all, a one-point win for Joey, so congratulations. I think that's your first ever win, probably. Um, let's see. I had one that I I won, <laughs> and then afterwards I ended up giving it to Scott because he predicted the Spencer Turnbull no-hitter, so I seeded him that victory. I think this is my first non-official one victory, yes. Try not to give it away. Yeah, right. they're, I, mean, they're, I don't have anything to give it away unless like, Rocky Ray just blows up. <laughs> They're, you know, they're just so valuable. Your this week in baseball wins in seventh I'll put them on my resume. <laughs> well, you can start um what to watch for this week. So as a reminder, each of our panelists here will pick matchup, player, team, whatever they want that they think they're gonna be watching this week, and they think you should be. So Joey, you're the winner. Go ahead. So I'm actually gonna be watching a storyline this week. All right. I love um, it. Um and that storyline is the conflict between the Mets players and administration based on the statement that was released during the recording of our podcast in which Sandy Alderson stated that it is the fans right to boo the player. 
uh, but the player has no right to retaliate and that they would be having a team meeting to address this. Um, I don't like like uh, front offices not having the backs of their players. Um, they could have put out something that was a lot less confrontational with their players. Um, and especially in a locker room that's probably already pretty contentious based on how mm-hmm. they've been playing recently. I can't imagine this is going to go over very well. I expect there to be a bloodbath of some sort. I don't expect Luis Rojas to finish the season as the Mets manager for one. Um, that's that's my hot take, which might not even be that hot of a take. But I I think uh, heads are going to start rolling in Flushing, Queens. Mets ownership just has failed to have the back of their players. It's just absolutely baffling. Every step of the way. The most consistent thing about the Mets is how often they mess up. Yep. It's it's sad. It's sad. But it's funny as a Nets fan to watch. I mean, I just... I don't know how... You see what Cohen says a couple weeks ago. Yep. And go, yep, we're going to stick with that line of thought. Yeah. So... Ethan, just a one-point loss today. I'm sure you'll uh, be able to use it as motivation for your haters next time. But anyway, you can go next. What are you watching this week? All right. Um, Somehow Diego's not on today. Um, So in his honor, (laughs) I am watching the Giants. Um, (laughs) The Giants um, get the Brewers and Dodgers this week, which is a really tough test for them. Um, If they are legit, if – they're going to end up winning the NL West. This whole week is going to be a real big test to that. I would like to see, sorry, James, I would like to see the dot or the giants <laughs> take care of business over the Dodgers for the next couple weeks. Um, makes for more fun storyline. I'd like to see them for sure in a full five game series versus a potential one and done. And if I can, pray to whatever gods that the Dodgers are a one and done. Uh, I'm probably going to do it. Uh, <laughs> James, go ahead though. You're what to watch for this. Week. I say this, you say this to me after I call Dylan sees the top 20 pitchers. <laughs> it's graceful. I'll be wearing this hat for the first half of the week. Then I'll be wearing my uh, Dodgers cap. That's my what to watch for this week. Dodgers giants. That's only series that I care about. Oh, just because that's probably going to decide the race. Uh, I do like the Mets off the field. It's interesting that the front office and the fans have turned on the Mets, and then the Mets have turned on everyone. So really, everyone's just angry. I just think it's funny. They want to be Steve Cohen wants to be the Mets to be like the Dodgers. They want to be the East Coast Dodgers. They are like the Dodgers of the Frank McCourt era. <laughs> That's like, this is something that could only happen with a Frank McCourt ran team. So, but yeah, short and sweet Dodgers giants at Oracle park. It's going to decide the division most likely. Uh, so, the uh, White Sox have kept themselves out of the news recently. I can't say I'm mad about the Mets <laughs> taking all the headlines, but that's just me. I'm sure they'll figure out a way to, to get back. As I, I say that, I'm it's like, yeah. It's been too long. It's, it's been a little bit, so we'll yeah. see what happens. But that's going to do it for us on this week and this episode of This Week in Baseball. 
episode 19 of season two. So we've been doing this for a little bit. Thanks as always for tuning in as I pull up our little banner at the bottom. You know where to find us. The website, diamond-digest.com. The Twitter, at diamond underscore digest. The Instagram handle, diamond.digest. You can find us anywhere. We've got content all the time. And as we head towards the postseason, there will be plenty more. So make sure to tune in to all these podcast episodes. Tune in to all our writers and what, what they're doing. And follow them along with them, as well as our main channel. Yes, we put all of our uh, Twitter handles on here for a reason. Make sure to follow along with everyone. For James Archeski, Ethan Fisher, and the winner today, Joey Bully, this is Jordan Lazowski signing off. Take care, everyone. Enjoy your week, and we'll talk to you next week. Take care.